Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 81. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently available for streaming on the internet. So you don't have to. This week we're talking about the 2019 horror comedy Ready or Not, which comes to us from... HBO Max. Our first HBO Max movie on this podcast. I mean, HBO Max has been around for about two months That's now. why I'm saying that with a 75% level of confidence. Yes. So this movie came out last year. Uh, it was released last August by Fox Searchlight, now Searchlight Pictures. They just keep changing their name, don't they? Well, Disney bought them. Yeah. So now they're Searchlight. All the Fox branding has been taken out of Wild 20th Century Pictures. Oh, and Disney. Searchlight Pictures. Uh, and grossed $57 million against a $6 million budget. I mention that only to say, this is a recent movie, and it was a hit. Our audience is people who like horror movies. You've probably seen this probably movie. Probably seen it, yeah. It was a hit in, hor- in, in theaters. And we're going to proceed assuming that you've seen this movie, which we recommend. Yeah, if you haven't watched it um, and you have like interest in it, we're going to spoil the hell out of it. So, like, d- spoilers, beware. If you want to not be spoiled, go watch it and then come back to this. But I assume you've seen it because, again, you listen to our podcast. And this was a hit last year. It was directed by Matt Bettinelli-Open and Tyler Gillette who are two-thirds of the media collective uh, Radio Silence, who previously worked on the anthologies um, VHS and Southbound. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they made another movie as well. Who wrote this? Guy Busick and R. Christopher Murphy, who don't have Wikipedia pages. Mm -hmm. I I bring up Radio Silence, uh, one, because they're like a, you know, like a hip horror, like, you know, co-filmmakers. There's three of them, but two Mm -hmm. of them directed this. And because they uh, got the new Scream movie, Scream 5, oh, yeah. is going to be their project. I, I think, don't know how I feel about that. I think we're on record as saying that... Uh, no more Scream. No more Scream. Yeah. Wes is gone. Let it let it die with him. Absolutely. Yeah, it's... Uh, Kevin Williams is still like, going to be involved, but especially still. Especially because, like, is it going to still be about Sydney? Uh, we know for sure... That Dewey is going to return, but Courtney Cox and uh, Nev have not confirmed. But I assume so. No. No, no, no. Unsubscribe. Kevin Williamson, just do something else, buddy. Like, 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 Scream is is so not this is gonna make it sound like an insult, but it's it's a general kind of story. It's a kind it's you know, it's like guy dresses up in mask and long black thing to kill people it's not like oh it's this ultra specific it's honestly not not even like something we've talked about before what are you that we also hate about it I'm, is extremely no, specific i'm getting into it it's not like chucky to me where you're like i want to tell a story about an evil doll who kills you that's that's chucky like that's the chucky franchise see, and if you want to make that really, movie i, think I can see no, you no, no, being no. like no oh i want to make this in the chucky franchise i think you're choosing the wrong example because again don mancini like no. Chucky is an auteur's vision. Of, I know like, that, a, but but Chucky... I can see you if you were like, I want to make a Chucky movie because I like this idea of like... Uh... You're just talking about Friday the 13th sequels. Sure, but that's, I guess that's what I'm saying is that like, why if you want to make a slasher movie, why do you need to make a Scream movie? That's my point of view. That's I agree, what I'm because Scream isn't generic. It's about Sydney. It's about Sydney's yes, well, And that's why I asked, is that like, okay, you want to make a movie in the Scream universe and have it be about Dewey or something? Like... Fine, don't call it Scream. Scream is about Sydney, and I think well, there's also even, a TV show now too, right? Which again doesn't have anything to do with Sydney, and therefore shouldn't be called Scream. It's just classic cash cow shit of trying to 
like get viewership because of Scream when it has IP, nothing to baby. do with Scream. The only bad. way to make money is through IPs. I hate it. That's not true though, because Ready or Not made a ton of money. Anyway, right. Back to Ready or Not. I think, like we said, we recommend this movie. This is a fun movie. Yeah. This is like this is very much giving horror audiences what they want for the most part, which is some jumps and some screams and well, yeah, some silliness. I mean, to reference what we were just talking about, I appreciate a movie that's not relying on IP. I like that this is a, it is it's classic horror, and then it's got kind of vibes of a lot of other horror movies that have come out over the last decade. But it's an original idea, and it has like you know, it is it has a a a new final girl. You know, like it's trying to kind of create something in that. But I did want to say that, like, as much as I like this movie, I, my, my feelings about this movie are genuinely positive. I'm happy with it. I like it. Um, it, it has the most written and directed by men vibe. Uh, not in not in like a gross way, just in a way that's like, hey, isn't this what you guys want? No, it doesn't it doesn't feel like super authentic to me. I think it's very um, it's very self-consciously. Yes. Desperate to be loved. Yes. It is clearly made by people who love horror films for people who love horror films. And it's definitely trying too hard. Yeah, because I want to agree with you. something inauthentic about it. I want to agree with you that I do recommend this movie. I think this is a fun movie. Um, I've had problems with it since the first time I watched it. This is now my third time. Those problems become more apparent the more I watch it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just easier to see the seams. And I think that this movie which I like a lot. Yeah. It's main flaw is that it's trying too hard. And in, in ways that I feel sometimes are thoughtless, um, yeah. as to the implications of what they're doing. Uh, Luke, his, I can feel his like paw hitting yeah. the door. There's the opportunity to do a lot more within this story, but yes. I think that it doesn't see the forest for the trees because of what it's trying to do. We'll yes. talk about all of this in and detail. And it's telegraphing a lot of like, like, you know, horror, you know, the tropes, you know, it's about to happen. And I think because of that, hard, yeah. I think because of that, it actually holds itself back. Um, what I'm going to talk about when we get into it is a lot of the missed opportunities of this film mm-hmm. that I think could have taken it to somewhere great that I just feel like it, it, it deliberately steers away from those things because it would be messier and instead it's just a tight you know 90-ish minutes yes. of action-packed horror comedy yeah and like it's a crowd pleaser and it succeeds yep should we talk about this movie yes so as we assume you know this movie is about grace marrying into the ladomas family grace is played by samara weaving Played who, excellently by Smart Weaving. I should she's say. the highlight of the film absolutely the best part of it uh, though this cast in general is great it's really excellent yeah She's also in a film called Mayhem, directed by Joe Lynch, that came out, <laughs> uh, I think, four-ish years ago. Not as good a movie as this. No, it's but she's also she's also very good in that. She is. She, she has commits. a very specific sarcasm, and not as much in that movie, but really in this movie, she is like in a different movie sometimes. Yeah. Everybody around her is being really dramatic and serious. Like, even her husband, who isn't even really a part of the, like, you know... Le Domas family shit. He's still like, it's your last chance to turn back. Like he's being very dramatic and she is just like snorting while she laughs and smoking a cigarette and having a genuine, like it's very kind of good time. She's very charming. Should we talk about the elephant in the room? Which is what? That she looks exactly like Margot Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> it's so spooky. It's so weird. I can't like, I, yeah, I actually, I looked up the trivia for this movie cause I love doing that on IMDb and Margot Robbie was considered for this role. 
So then they went with bargain it's bin so Margot weird. Robbie. I know. It's, it's so like, weird. we want a very specific look for this girl. We can't Australian have Margot Robbie. Blonde. Let's call Samara. <laughs> like, she's literally their backup call. But she's great. And I think actually she brings, she isn't, she is not, as I just said, bargain bin Margot Robbie. She is slightly more dark to me. She's got a, and this is, maybe this is why she's become more of a horror person. But she has this, like, more biting thing than Margot Robbie does in sure. some instances that I think is like really perfect for this role specifically. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, it's more akin to what Margot Robbie's doing is like Harley Quinn is like yeah. the kind of thing that Samara Weaving tends to do in her movies. Obviously not quite as manic, but like that sort of like sarcastic yeah. rhyme. biting. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I don't really want to dance around this. Um, I think it's clear from like the trailer. It's not yeah. <laughs> she marries into to this family on the night of the wedding they play a game. Uh, you pull a card. You pull a card. You choose what game is played with the rest of the family. She pulls hide and seek. And like it seems like from the context, ninety percent of the cards are perfectly. They're just games. Fine. They're actual games. You actually right. play old maid. You actually play checkers. You actually play poker. Whatever the actual game is played. Um, but because she pulls hide and seek, the rest yeah. of the family has to hunt her. The lore here, which I wanted to spend a pretty significant amount of time on this okay. episode on. The lore here is that if they do not succeed in hunting her down and sacrificing her by dawn, the the whole Ladomas family will die. Yes. So she has to survive until dawn in order to beat them. Yeah. She starts off not taking this seriously because it's a hide-and-seek game yeah. on her wedding night. Uh, She's and then still in her dress. The family proceeds to hunt her. The movie is them hunting her. and uh, That's it? That's it. That's all there is to it. Um, again, I want to talk about this lore. Would you like to talk about that now? Sure. I think it's a good time to talk about it. Basically, in essence, it's that uh, several generations ago... Um, do we know how specific it is? It's great-great-great-grandfather. I think it's like the patriarch's grandfather or great-grandfather. Um, but he was on a ship. He was just starting out his little... He was a merchant seaman. Yeah, his little game card business. And he made a deal with... This mysterious man, Mr. LaBelle, Mr. LaBelle, um, in order to um, succeed, have, 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 have success. And so they basically this the sacrifice that they're making, they're sacrificing uh, Grace to Mr. LaBelle, who it's heavily uh, hinted at is is a demon or the devil, some sort of. Um, and I did actually look it up in the in the um, this is in the trivia. LaBelle and Le Domas are anagrams for demon names. That's how they came up with those names. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, LaBelle gives this puzzle box, um, and solving this puzzle box is what grants the Le Domas family fortune. Um, I want to talk about this family, both because we should talk about this incredible cast, but yes. the Le Domas family is, they are uh, gaming magnates. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is not clear what they do in the present tense, but we see a, there's a lot of really, really great production design. He did say they expanded into something else, didn't well, they? Well, yeah, yeah. Now, now they own sports teams. Which right. I, right, I want right, to set right. that aside. Right. But uh, which I guess is gaming in its own. It's way. a it's a bad like rich people thing. I feel like it's just like that's how they excuse it as well, part of gaming. Sure. Uh, like we're talking about like board games and card games, right? Like mm -hmm. we see a lot of vintage. And I really mean it to say that the production design is incredible. And one of my favorite it's things about this movie yeah. is like these card games, these board games, all of these original ideas that are strewn around the house. And upon making their fortune on that, now they are like presumably 
one of the richest families in the world. They don't say that, but they own four professional sports teams. And I actually don't know if there's another family that owns four professional sports teams. Yeah, it's a lot. They might own two or three. That's like your crafts, like a really, really intense, like really rich family. You know, Rooney Mara is the descendant of the uh, founder of the Giants. Yes. Like the Giants and yes. the founder of the Steelers. She, like, she's, it came It came to make her and the, right. other, the Maras. Uh, um, but like, they're so unfathomably rich. And I think that's, obviously this movie is, I say obviously, I assume you've seen this with the trailer, <laughs> but it's, it's a uh, sort of having fun with like class warfare. It's having fun yes. with like, all rich people are evil. This family is so absurdly rich that it makes, I think it does a great job of subtly setting the stage for what caricatures all of these people are. Yes, which they're they absurd. Are. And they're insane in the way that you have to be unfathomably rich and not have to actually comport yourself in the world. Right, and not care about anything. Yeah. There, there is an implication, I think, because really early on, right, when, when she realizes that she's being hunted after she starts having to take it seriously, and Alex, who the implication is that the family is aware that he will not be okay with this and they have to restrain him for the whole night, he gets free and they find each other and there's this conversation of, like, why can't, why couldn't we just leave? Like, what what's this kind of, like, of course, I think they have to kind of put this in the script because it's the most obvious question of, like, why did you even allow this game to be played if you knew this was what's going to happen? Why did you even bring her here? And his explanation is that he's had aunts and uncles who... Didn't play. Didn't play. Um, and that they died. The mysteriously the next day. There were fires. There were whatever. And his explanation does not seem to be supernatural. His sort of, what he's implying, is that someone in the family... Yeah takes you out and he's very afraid of his family this is set up that like he hates his family before the wedding he's shit talking them like he thinks that they're scum except his brother i think there's kind of like a no really i think there's a there's there's immediately something there of like he's the only person he would come back for it feels like i say i mean sure i think he still hates him let's Mm. talk about this fucking family complicated yeah alex and dan daniel I think it's just, I think they call him Daniel. I don't think they ever call him Dan or Daniel. Are uh, Mark O'Brien from Halt and Catch Fire, uh, which is Grace's husband, and Adam Brody as Daniel. Who is, I will say, besides Samara Weaving, my favorite part of this movie. I love him, but I love a drunk, fuck-up older brother. And that is literally, he's like so my type in every way. Their sister is uh, Melanie Scrofano, who is Wyona Earp. Uh, I'm not as familiar with her, but what did I say? Wyona? I don't know. I've never heard it said out loud. <laughs> okay, I think it's Winona Earp. I think it's Wyona, because it's like Wyatt. It's not like... Oh, uh, well, Wy- Winona would also be like Wyatt. Whatever. I don't know. Their I've parents also, are... I've watched it like one time. Henry Zerny, who you might know from Mission Impossible, the first Mission Impossible, uh, and Annie McDowell, who you might know from all kinds of things. All, many things. Groundhog Day. I love her in this role. It's very... Annie An- McDowell? Annie McDowell, her vibe has always kind of been like small town. You know, like she's like girl next door pretty. And so, ha- and she has a Southern accent. She's got kind of like a, not what you'd expect, not a rich person Southern accent, like a yes. Texas Southern accent. Well, she and married so into the family. She married, too, yeah. But I think that's a great detail to keep in there that she doesn't really belong here. Like, or, or, or she didn't for a long time and now she has like ascended. And so she sees in Grace part of herself that this Grace is also kind of, the family looks down of her as kind of being like, 
trashy. Yeah. You know, and she's like, if I could do it, if I could come from nothing and marry this family and now I'm this incredible matriarch, you can also do this and be the new me. Which like once yeah. once she's pulled the card, there is It's over. It's over. There's nothing there is no winning for both of them, so I don't know what, how that kind of fits into their image. But, like, you, they have to kill her or they will die. There is no winning. There's also Emily's husband, which is Christian Brune, from that Canadian show. Orphan Black. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, and then Daniel's wife, who is not as famous. And then also Aunt Helene, yes. who is... Not a known actress to me, but she is a no. crazy manic presence. She looks exactly like Julie Walter to me. It's really weird. Very weird. Uh, they hunt her around the house. I'm not sure how much of this you want to talk about. Um, well, I know we need to get into your well, very, yeah, very I wanna, specific. I want to set aside that at first, because I think that the way that I... The things that I don't like about this movie, I can acknowledge are nitpicks. They just mm-hmm. bother me. Um, but what, in terms of the plot... Again, assuming we don't have to do much recap because our listeners know this movie uh what what really sticks out to you on your second watch you know Um, about the 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 meat of this movie well i really think that this is not a movie that needs an emotional storyline it doesn't really i mean like it doesn't it doesn't need one to survive but there is one which is that samara weaving's little um quick backstory that happens right before you rolled your eyes, but I think it is nice. It is in um, fact one of my least favorite parts of this movie. Well, I think it's, I think it's, a, it, it is a testament to Samara Weaving's acting and I will tell you why, because she tells Andy McDowell right before she pulls the card that she grew up in foster homes. Mm-hmm. And so she doesn't have a like family to go home to. Her family has no presence at this wedding. She does not, is clearly not close to her foster family. Like, she has been searching for a long time for a family to belong to. And there is this feeling that when she marries into this family, she's really excited. She gets a sister. She gets a brother. She gets a mother and a father. You know, there's like this feeling because they are really close as like, as we see they're they're terrible, but well, they Alex are is not. No, but he has been distanced and now he is coming back into the fold for her, it is alluded to that she is the one who pressured him into not eloping and was like, no, we should go back to your family and get really married so she can have what she wants, which is a family. Yeah. And so there's a moment after she, after the initial kind of like um, adrenaline rush of, oh my God, they're really hunting me. And she and Alex meet up and he's like, okay, you uh, go meet me here and I'll find you and it'll be okay. Like there's this kind of like, that. it's really, you know hectic and then she has a moment to sit with herself for a second and you see it on her face so vividly how devastated she is that there is this unbelievable utter betrayal betrayal that she thought that she had finally found it she thought that she was like coming to the end of her kind of search and to be so betrayed and so let down uh it's it's a testament to her acting i think it's it really comes through just how devastated she is I agree. I think to, to counter that, I think they hammer the, um, I don't have a family and I was looking for a family in you, Ladomas is too hard. I think it's really cheap. I think it's kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, again, keep in mind that I did just acknowledge that they're all nitpicks. Yeah. Um, it, it just rubs me the wrong way. A lot of the things in this movie that rub me the wrong way are, like I said, it's about missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. I just think it's totally unnecessary for her to be yearning for family and then find this fucked up one. I think there's the opportunity to for it to be a, a satire several things in this movie are about wealth, uh, like a satire of like 
the way that rich families stick together and they like keep it in the family and it's about protecting mm-hmm. the family. You know, Succession is about this, is a television show right. about this. Uh, but I don't think it satirizes that aspect. I think no, we're supposed they're to not genuinely, that, right? we're they supposed to kill, empathize. They don't kill everyone who comes into this family. And they don't even kill everyone who comes into this family who comes from a poor background. It is a... I mean, maybe that'd be a different movie, right? Where they're right, like, but I'm that's that's the satire that I yeah. would prefer. We're meant to empathize with the fact we're supposed to feel like, oh, she she does need this, and it's just, I don't know, like she doesn't need a family. She's not broken for not needing a family. The movie kind of posits it as like this is I actually. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I I think that you're. I think what you are seeing there. You're right. You don't need a birth family, right? You don't, like, many people distance themselves from their birth families yeah. and don't have a relationship with them, but you need something. You cannot go through this world alone. And I, and that is what it seems like she has, is that it's not like, it's not like she even brought all of her friends to this wedding. She hasn't, she doesn't have a found family. She has no one. And so it's less about, uh, oh, I really needed a, a mom and a dad. It's that she needs she was looking for some support and structure and, that she did not receive. And so I understand what you're saying, but it's, it's, she needs somebody. And I think that her feeling was that if she had no family and Alex had no family, that they would be eloping into this world on their own. And that that was not what she wanted. She wanted some structure and stability for them, which I, I think is fair. I think part of my issue also rises that it's not about it's not just about grace. This is something, this is coded into the, the film's DNA um, because of the way that Annie McDowell also positions herself as like, I was looking for something and I found it here and mm-hmm. you too can be like me. And even Adam Brody's wife has a line where she says like, you know what my life was like oh, before this. Oh, she also came from nothing. Like, yeah. She was like, my, my, I can't go back to what my life was before this. And again, we're nitpicking here. It's weird that the women in this world, are broken and they need the Ladomas name yeah, the men. to restore order Because to them. they all become Ladomases. And it doesn't, and that's not true of Emily's husband. Emily's husband is rich, probably was already rich, and married into a rich family. Again, it's just a thing that rubs me the wrong way. Because it's asking us to take Grace's um, desire for a f- to find a family seriously, mm-hmm. and is also showing us these other women who have become yeah. evil as a result of this family it just rubs me the wrong way i hear you it's that I think simple it's, it, I, I don't want to get too far into what i know your other nitpick is but i feel like i trust this movie whereas you don't yeah and i feel like this movie's already saying enough about rich people that i believe that they are that that is commentary whereas i but i understand your reticence to believe that that, that because this movie doesn't go deep enough into those things and doesn't acknowledge that this family uh, finds women with no past. I mean, that's that's also a part of this, right? Is that if they think they might have to kill you, it's beneficial to them that you have no family. They don't know that they're going to kill any, I mean, Annie McDowell. And I don't been... think it's I don't think it's that. I mean, when when Annie McDowell is choking her at the end, like she literally says, "You don't deserve to have a family." Like yeah. this movie lays it on so thick. I don't think it's about them trying to like abscond with like women that they can uh, dispose of if necessary. But it's weirdly coincidental, right? That they can murder these women and no one will come looking for them. That is the absolute implication of Grace is that she has no one. No one will look for her. Sure. I'm just saying. I think that there's. I think that you're right that there's a lot more to dig into there. I think that's. But I think that's my point is that it's not. It's not just her backstory, which is why we've now gone on this very long tangent that right. I'm sure listeners were thrilled about. Yeah. It's it's like an integral part of this movie. Right. What this movie is saying, what this movie is about, is about uh, 
not having a family and needing a family. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't think it handles it the best. I think that's fair. Should we talk about my other nitpick? Uh, yeah, because I, I have another thing I like if you want to do likes first and then we'll get into nitpicks after. Sure, why don't we alternate? My other like is that I think I've seen a lot of movies like this of killer families or people being hunted in a house where everybody is like really good at what they're doing and they're all experts. Mm-hmm. And when I first saw the trailer for this movie, I think this was like a really fun in-theater experience and realization is that what I was so confused about seeing the trailer is that I was like, how can they have hunted every new person who comes into this family? Yeah. That's not possible. And then it being like, oh, no, this is something that happens maybe every 20, 30 years. Because the last time it happened was when uh, Alex and Daniel were children And Aunt Helen was getting married. It was in the 80s. Yes. Yeah. And Aunt Helen, which is like, I think her story is interesting as well, that she... Loved her husband, was very passionate about him, was devastated that he died, and now regrets the fact that she did not kill him herself because uh, Mr. LaBelle was testing her Mm -hmm. and she kind of failed because she was so scared to lose him. And now she's like, no, I'm meant to be alone. I'm dedicating myself to just Mr. LaBelle for the rest of my life because fate took my husband from me for this particular reason. Mm -hmm. Which I think is interesting. But so she actually seems like she knows what she's doing. She's got her axe. She's been preparing for this moment to kind of like redeem herself for Mr. LaBelle since her, her husband. Everybody else has never had to deal with this. There's this threat of it every time that someone is going to get married, but it's never had to happen. So That's none the of parents, them... the parents have. Sure. I mean, I guess I mean then uh, Daniel, Emily, both of their spouses and Alex. Yeah. Like they do not know what they're doing. They are spoiled, rich babies. Correct. And they don't have, I mean, even like you might, they might, I mean, to speak to our earlier point, there might have even been some commentary on Daniel's wife knowing how to use a gun, she still doesn't really. Like, none of them know what they're doing. And I think that that, because this is a lead-in kind of into your nitpick. Yep, Yep. You're welcome for that segue. But I really enjoy that. I've seen a lot of movies about competent assassins tracking each other around. And I like a movie that has, you know, someone being handed a crossbow and then having to go sit in the bathroom and watch a YouTube video on how to use it. You know, like, I think that works for me because it, it speaks to a realism of this it's it's satirical and realistic that this family who's involved in all of these dark doings but they don't ever have to do this they never actually have to get their hands dirty and now they do and i think that that is interesting and funny and the emily character is hysterically manic and i enjoy it very much yeah i think it's i think you're right it's fucking hilarious christian brun having this um like ancient crossbow and not knowing what the fuck to do with it is right. very funny. they're all the old weapons, too. They Correct. Ha- they have to it's use the tradition, the tradition right? of the Leidomas weapons from the past. Um, I agree that that's very funny and I actually really like the element of it. So what it leads to... I'm going to stop hedging. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is this big mysterious nitpick? <laughs> it drives me insane. And I have said this since the first time I saw it when yeah. we saw it in theaters. And it has only gotten worse with each, wa- which, each watch. And has only gotten worse with each watch. It drives me insane that the people who suffer most in this movie are the servants and Grace. Nothing bad happens to this family until uh, 
bad is relative. But nothing yeah. really bad happens to the the villains of this film until Adam Brody does a good thing at the end, and then he gets shot immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it takes like until an hour... the last like fifteen twenty minutes. That's when that's when, when, when yeah. stuff starts to back up on them finally. The the hijinks of uh, them not knowing how to use these weapons and uh, Emily being like on cocaine on the cocaine whole the whole time yeah. is that the servants uh, get shot and decapitated and mutilated and in general are are a punchline to this joke. I want to acknowledge before someone comes at me <laughs> that that is part of the satire that this movie is doing is that that these these women and their butler are disposable to these there's a, there's a there's a line about like oh she was my favorite and mm-hmm. then they keep killing them off and, and they're dressed really slutty too there's also yeah. that element right That's... like they're not maids they are literally like call girls. This movie is in on the joke that these rich people are evil for treating them so disposably and, and, and like, yes. like they're not human to them. It's just like, oh, now you're going to get another no, maid because that like maid throw died. throw them in the goat pen with the yes. goats. Yeah. Um, it's just incongruous to me that, again, especially having seen this with an audience, when the audience is laughing at these sudden deaths, they're like tittering like, oh, like, because they're so shocking and they're so, again, they're slapsticky because crazy things happen when these uh, old weapons are being used or mm-hmm. like Emily screams and, and Emily shoots the gun. is really incompetent yeah. yes again and it's not I'm not I think saying it's, it's... it's both of them are Emily and the other one is Grace and with Grace is an accident yeah again it's not that it's not funny it's just that it's weird this movie really feels reticent to punish its villains and I'm not criticizing it for being for not being like your next for example which is a similar setup of a final girl who turns the tables on um, the family, the family that's trying to hunt her and picks them off one by one. Well, that's different because there's two groups of that's, that's like, sure, 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 sure. It's just an example of like another kind of like, I'm not saying it's not this movie's problem that it's not a reverse slasher movie where Grace kills every one of them. I'd watch that movie. I'd have fun with it. But she's not supposed to be hyper competent, right? She's just a person. She evades them for most of this movie. Correct. It's just, it, it, there's just an incongruity to me that it feels like the joke is at the expense of women. And specifically, I mean, you said this was like extremely written by men. It's at the expense of women and it's at the expense of the servants and grace for uh, being disposable. Even the butler is a joke character. He is um, competent. He survives longer. He captures Grace. He captures her, but he's a joke times. character who drives into a tree because he's singing along to a symphony and he's stupid. And, and like Grace gets the drop on him. Like mm-hmm. the servants are are, are I think comic the, relief the butler, in a way that yeah. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. You're, you're, I go want ahead, to address ahead, some ahead, of this. Ahead. We've already fought about this twice because we fought about it on the way home from the movie theater. And then I feel like again after you watch the second time. But I do feel like it's much more of a commentary on. I think that here's the comparison that I would make is that it's like the same thing to me as just being like all violence against women is bad in movies, which I know that you do not feel that. Yeah, way. that's that's not an argument I've ever made. I know. I know that because I think that there's like most of the time when there's violence against women in movies, not most of the time, actually most of them is really, it's, it's bad. But like when you trust a filmmaker and you can trust that the violence against women is being done to show that violence against women is bad. But like think about the times people have been like, I don't care that this rape is... Um, appropriate to the story and real, like historically realistic, right? I don't want to see it on my screen. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like a valid argument. It's not one that I agree with, but I think it's a valid argument, but it, but it feels like that's what you're saying. And I don't feel like you feel that way. So I think that when you have something that's like, the point of this is that the family is bad. I don't think people are laughing at the servants getting murdered. I think that people are laughing at Emily's incompetence. 
So maybe that's just a difference of what we're interpreting there because I don't think it's, I don't think people are laughing like, ha ha, arrow, go through lady's head. It's like, ha ha, oh my God, Emily literally can't use a gun. Oh, Emily can't use a crossbow, you know? like She's holding it for a second. She's not even trying to use it. Right. Like, the, the crossbow she like is just holding and yeah. then just, I guess, triggers it, right? And the gun she like doesn't wait to see if someone comes out into the hallway enough. I think you're, I, I, I don't disagree with you that the primary function of slaughtering the servants in gruesome and ridiculous ways is ultimately commentary. That is why it's in there. That is the and specifically when the third one dies, she has just betrayed Grace. There is a weird, I don't know how to feel. This is what I was gonna say about the. Yeah. You know where I'm going with this. There is a weird um, servant master loyalty loyalty that is played with here. That like obviously there's a different movie here where Grace gets together with the servants and they all band together and they fight the you know. But the butler is like deeply loyal to them. Like he for whatever reason, considers himself part of this family, even though they would never consider him part of the family. That's like an awkward, which again, I think is purposeful. That is a thing that happens when you work for someone who you feel like they're family and they don't consider you family and they consider you disposable. And like, I think that it, the movie is punishing that servant for ratting out Grace. And they don't want to implicate Grace in that. Grace doesn't kill her on purpose, but she is being, unlike the other two maids who are just walking around the house, she is being punished for a, big quotes here, sin. Yeah. You know, as horror movies do. So it really is just those first two kind of like... Well, I think I having, where you're having the third servant betrayer is a choice. Like, that's not... that. And that, you don't think it's that, enough of a commentary on, like, It's not that family, I don't think it's... It's not that I don't think it's... People enough of a commentary i think it is a commentary and it's also incongruous it's i'm not trying to deny anything that it's doing that i think um you know is subjective about whether it, it works or not i'm just saying that for me it also rubs me the wrong way and that's, that's, the, that's yeah. the phrase i'll keep returning to because these are not uh deal-breaking flaws this is a movie i like mm -hmm. but especially the more you see it at least for me it just rubs me the wrong way. I'm just tired of seeing this family survive to the end and then the ritual like doesn't happen and they all explode and it's funny and weird and like it's a we, we should talk about that tonal moment too. Yeah. But like like that isn't as cathartic to me and it's intentionally uncathartic because it's kind of sudden when I have had to watch all these people suffer, including Grace, who suffers more than anyone else in this movie. Yes. Like she gets hurt a lot. So badly. Like the catharsis isn't worth it, and not all horror has to be about catharsis. That's but so it's just interesting because I think, like, to me, there is nothing more cathartic than her fighting her way to the end, getting to that point, and then having them explode. They are they are so ultimate. Like, maybe it happens too quickly for you, and it takes all the agency out of her. Like she has this is the problem. She, she doesn't have any in the movie, and I don't want her. I don't want her to kill them off. I don't. I'm, I guess I'm just not interested in that. I've seen it before. I've seen the hyper competent final girl slowly one by one slaughter every member of this family. I think that what makes her a good character, an interesting character to me, is that she gets her hands just as dirty as a regular person would, which is that her only kill, I believe, is the mother. Does that seem does right the to you? Count? When does she kill the butler? Because he drives himself into a tree. Well, she oh she gets she, him with the lace of her yeah, yeah. gown, doesn't she? Yeah, I mean, there's that's that's obviously loaded in a different way. That's kind of a female kind of using yeah, yeah. your tools um, thing that I like and dislike for different reasons. Um, 
both of the kills, if it's him yes, and the also mother. the mother, it is they're very they are not calculated. They are not um they are they're not indicative of being a particularly smart uh or strong fighter. They are born out of the pure unadulterated rage and adrenaline that is coursing through her body at this point and the horrible things that Danny McDowell says to her and that like her murder of you know I I think we keep comparing this to your next because it's a very similar vibe but like booby traps and it's all set up in this very specific way and it's like no she is just going to beat her to death with this puzzle box because she's so angry. And I just think that that's more interesting than her picking them off one by one, which would require a lot of strategy and a lot of weaponry and a lot of, it's just a completely different movie than this really normal girl, which again, I'll say one of the reasons I like her is because she's not in this horror movie. She is just a character who gets dropped into a horror movie. Like she seems so out of place. And so the things that she is being made to, to go through reflect in a way that I find really realistic that would not be true if she was had murdered every single one of them. I mean, it's it's not this movie's fault that it came out in 2019, but uh, it's the same thing that Marta's doing in Knives Out, right? Which is like, uh, not, as long as she's not acting with malice, she's just reacting and, like, frankly, just, like, evading. Obviously, they're very different scenarios. They're very different. Yeah, but it's, it, I mean, Knives Out... For example, I think everything this movie does with regard to um, class commentary is done better in Knives Out. Correct. I can't help but compare them. We saw them like a month apart. They're very, like, yeah. Uh, They're part of the kind of push of like capitalism bad of the 2019 movie era. It's just that like you're, you're, I, I don't deny you what you're saying. I hate that this family makes it all the way to the end relatively unscathed, except for Andy McDowell and, and, and um, Adam Brody. Yes, uh, who is uh, alternate from the servants, punished for doing a good thing. Punished for doing a good Shot thing. Shot by right. his wife. I don't know. I also think that what's really interesting... We should talk about the ending, too. Yeah, what I think is really interesting, because this is... I forgot how long this ending is, that, like, Adam Brody, in all of his wonderful, um, drunken, drunken... I fucking love him! And there's a really good moment at the end where they're talking about... They finally catch her. They're going to do the ritual. They're all preparing for it. And apparently the original script had Adam Brody getting drunker and drunker as he was preparing for the ritual. And then the implication of the movie is that he's actually sobering up for it, which I kind of love. I think it's a super great detail. Yeah. Um, but then he helps her because right. he is... Poisons them. He poisons them. Um, not enough to kill them, which is, I think, there's a very interesting... But I think this is what, this is what I'm going to say. You're shaking your head at me, but this is what I'm going to say. Um he wants to help her get out because he also wants Alex to get out and he wants both of them to go be free. He is doing what he has always done, which we see in the beginning of the movie, which is throwing himself on, you know, as the sacrificial lamb to save Alex, to help Alex. Right. And then Alex, uh, upon his mother dying turns and decides that he's evil. The other way, which I actually think is really interesting. I think that there's that what's being said in this is that, and you can agree or you can disagree. It's but... not that I, okay, so it's you're right that it's interesting, and I know where you're going with this, so I'm sorry for cutting you off, but like it's a more nuanced character moment than this movie has room for. I, I just... disagree, because I will say, I think that there's an amazing moment. I love this is what I love watching again, because you don't get this on the first time, is that he is tied up in the bedpost, his mother, Alex, and his mother comes to see him just to kind of like talk him down that like, you're going to lose your wife. And when you do, we want you to stay with us. Like you belong with us. Yeah. And he is furious, will not hear it. And he says to her, 
uh, if she dies, I'll kill you. And because in that moment, he genuinely believes that he loves Grace more than he loves his mother. And I think that, like, that is something that feels very natural, that you're like, I can't choose my family, but I chose my wife and I love her. And, like, you're all super evil and sacrificing goats or whatever when I was a little kid is not normal. And I forgot about that until I got out into the real world and met Grace and, like, now I love her and I want to be with her. But then when faced with the actual decision of, like, this woman who I love, who I married, killed my mother... But even what I think is even more interesting is that he has that moment where he's like, he sees his mother down on the ground and then he actually still might be with her. And it isn't until her rejection of him yeah. that he uh, turns on. It's a good her. acting moment. too. And so you I think see it's it a, turn, you see it in, in his, his eyes. Yeah. Yes. And I, th- but I think it's interesting that he might even be telling himself that it's like, it's too layered that it's like, yes, it is because she killed his mother. There is a part of him that is realizing that this is the family where he belongs. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he might lose both his mother and her is what breaks him that he's like you might have just killed my mom i might have no family after this and you won't be with me even if we both make it out of here alive that's not acceptable and i think that is like actually really complex and it makes me buy into him kind of as a villain the whole time that were she had to have rejected him at any point in the evening he would have turned her over yeah that i think is interesting i mean it's terrible it's super evil It's part of the commentary. It's part of the commentary on that he still grew up in this extremely rich family and you, it's kind of like you can't change your spots kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Which is depressing, but interesting. I find it, I I find it compelling. Do we talk about the ending? Yes. So uh, they try to ritual her. Um, Adam Brody poisons all of them. She gets away. Uh, He does. Alex turns on her again. Yeah. What we just described. Yeah. What you talk about. And then they get her again. They hold her down on the table and they're yelling, hail Satan. Which, um, dumb? Yeah, it doesn't really work. Why hail Satan? Well, they specifically do this weird thing where in the first ritual, she's about to say it, and then that's when they start throwing up because they've been poisoned. So they kept the hail Satan, like, as a weird little, like, it's supposed to be a a surprise. It's weird. I have no problem with hailing Satan. Like, I'm, like, that's fun. That's, like, a good (laughs) horror tradition. Um, but, like... You know how in Hereditary, where they, like, picked a specific demon, and they yes. say, Hail Paimon? Which like, they do have one in this. Yeah, so why are they saying I don't Hail Satan? I don't know why they say it's Hail just, It's just, it, ge- it genericizes something that could be, like... Yes. It's just one more... It Ultimately, if they say Hail... I don't know. What's a demon? Asmodeus. That's the one I was thinking of. Oh my god, it's because we've done a movie, I feel like, called Asmodeus on this podcast. Uh, if they say Hail Asmodeus, like... Does it fundamentally change the movie? No. Does it make it more specific and it's not just a bunch of people yelling Hail Satan, which just feels... Maybe it's just a little played no, out. It's, yeah, it's I kitschy. I completely agree with you. It's dumb. Anyway. Um, they get the, her on the shoulder. The she sunlight, rolls away. The sunlight comes in because it's dawn now. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, oh, I guess it doesn't matter. And then they all fucking explode. Yeah. And I uh, I hate it. I like I, uh, I hate it. Sorry, I'm inarticulate because I hate Can it. Can you explain why? It's stupid. It looks like an MTV movie. Like, it's just like... Oh, my God. It's, it's cheap CGI. It's a weird, jokey punchline. And I know this movie is kind of a comedy... But it just feels so cheap. Like, if they burned, if, like, anything... They pop, like, popcorn. And they just exploded blood splatter. And, like... Which is a... It does feel a little bit... And they do jokey beats... In order to, like, blood splatter her. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Like, there's jokey beats where, like, uh, um, Viscera falls from the ceiling. Like, it's, like, one of those long beats. It gets on the camera, too, which I hate. I hate when it gets on the camera. It's just... It's so jokey. It pushes it over the line into like, okay, like, 
are you taking this seriously, you fuckers? Like, <laughs> that's how I felt. Is like, it's I also we were... a little weird to me that they want the children to explode because the children have this is their first kind of initiation into it. So they explode the children, but they won't show it on film. They have yeah. them run out of the room and then clearly explode, which is like. I don't know if that... This is an R-rated movie, right? Like, just yes, explode yes. the children. Like, we get it. This is a commentary. You don't have to be afraid to show us the exploding children. It's weird. She literally punches a child in the face earlier in this movie. Like, you can watch a child She explode. gets a... She also... She has a... I want a divorce punchline. Like, it's... It's... Mm-hmm. It's just too dumb and on the nose. And I don't think this movie... Although I feel like that's purposeful. I've been criticizing it a lot. I think this is a funny and fun movie. Yeah. It's not a dumb movie. I don't think it. I don't think it thinks through everything it does, but it's not stupid. And the ending to me feels like a cheaper, worse movie. Uh, Did they run out of money? Like, part of it is hinging on I think the CGI looking bad and what they do with the CGI being too silly. But, and then okay, so they all explode, and then uh, Love Me Tender starts playing, and she goes outside and smokes a cigarette on the steps. Yeah. Um, As the like police arrive. Yeah, because it's also the house is on fire from a thing that happened earlier yes. in the uh, There's a struggle. classic candlestick falling yeah, over, yeah, yeah. catching on a curtain moment. Um, I think there's an interesting moment in there, too. This is kind of pre... I have two things to say about this scene. I don't understand your vitriol. I think it's fine. I think that there's a different movie that I'm more interested in that ends on... What is his name? Who? Emily's LaBelle? husband. No. Emily's husband. Christian Bruin? Yes. I keep wanting to just call him Christian. Do you remember what his actual name is? Fitch. Oh, Fitch. Duh. I think it's a great name, too. Um, cause I think it's his last name. No, Fitch Bradley. Oh, okay. Well, I think Fitch is a great name anyway. Um, Fitch, they're all standing there. They're all hiding from the light and then nothing happens for like a good four to five seconds. And he goes, okay, well, what do we do about her? And I think ending on that line or ending on something like, what do we do now? Or just some kind of thing of like. And then it ending, because I love a horror movie ending like that. I think it's like, I know other horror movies that have done it where I'm just like, fucking genius. Now I get to sit here and think to myself, like, how did they get out of this one? How, like, I, I love that. I think it's very fun. And I think that it's sad that this movie felt like they needed to end the movie in such a, like... Cool and, way. And, and, and so specifically, like, nope, the devil is real. Mr. LaBelle is real. It's so definitive. It's so like I think it's more interesting if we never really know what happened to those other families. Why did they die? Well, Why did they believe this for so long? In defense like, of that, in defense of that, I do think it's part of. Um, and I don't know if you were going to bring this up, but I think it's part of the the, the satire element, right? It's about rich families uh, literally making the deal with the devil because oh, they can't they actually have, right. They earn, didn't work hard. Yeah, yeah they yeah. can't actually earn anything. That's fair. It's about I think, but I think that's part of like why. This movie could have gone two ways. The reason why I think it goes the Mr. LaBelle is real and they actually had to do this ritual to keep their promise to him right. is because they didn't earn anything. Right. And that's how capitalism actually works, right? Is that you don't yeah. actually earn it. You got some big windfall. Oh, mysterious windfall of luck at some right, point. Right, right. Um, and then you just like can't lose it from that point on. I think that's fair. I just think that like I, I, I can imagine that ending and I like yearn for it. The other thing I think is cool about this scene and I don't know what it's specifically saying, but it's a, another really good acting moment from Samara Weaving. That at this point she is just fucking covered in blood, bullet through, bullet hole through the hand, nail through that bullet hole. Uh, she's been beat up. She's just been like ravaged beyond belief. Her hair is like covered in like scum from the goat pit. Like it's yeah. just awful. Um, and she gets off the table. We should also say this because we haven't yet. She's wearing a 
her torn wedding dress. Yes. And chucks. And chucks. Her sneakers. Her yellow chucks. Um, she's torn off the bottom of it, so it has that kind of, like, like sawed-off feel. Um, and it's covered in blood and dirt and grime and gore, and it's just awful. And so she stands up. She's got a knife, I think. She's got, like, a little dagger there, because I think she pulls it out of her own shoulder. And she makes this sound... Oh, yes. ...when she steps back from them, where she kind of goes to the corner, and she... She has gone full feral. It's so she animalistic. Is, it's an, it is a goat sound. And that is what I think is so fascinating that like they have turned her into just another sacrificial goat. And I think that it is like an unbelievable acting moment from her that it, the yeah, sound amazing. that leaves her mouth. I'm just like, holy shit. And she's terrifying. And again, I think that it just plays into all of the things that I've said that she's just a very normal girl yeah. who this happened to. And it... I think to, to lead into the endings, and this is what we're, this is kind of the next bit. I like that more than how this ends up, which is that she's just laughing and smoking her cigarette and sitting out on the steps. She was already covered in blood, but it was mostly her own. Now she is covered in the blood and viscera of all the exploded family members, specifically Alex, because he was standing right in front yeah. of her when he exploded. Um, there's also like a nice little moment where Mr. LaBelle like shows up in the chair and winks at her. And there's kind of been implication that Alex is like the chosen one of the family because he's the only one who's ever seen Mr. LaBelle in his chair. And so her seeing him in the chair is so reminiscent of like him, Mr. LaBelle being like, all right, I respect you. (laughs) Like, I respect that. Like I've kept this family alive for many years and you beat them and I exploded them. And now maybe now you are my new, you know, protege and I will give you windfalls of luck and you have to worship me or whatever the implication of that is. I like that a lot. I think it's interesting. What happens when she goes and sits out on the lawn is that I feel like the directors were like, can't wait to see a gift set of this. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just so like, I can't wait to see this picture next to pictures of Sydney and Nancy and, you know, and like all the other final girls and like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And like, it's going to, she's going to be up there with all of the other final girls, which is a very, I think, natural thing to want. If you're writing a horror movie as a lover of horror movies is you want to write someone who resonates with people the way that all these other final mm-hmm. girls covered in blood have resonated. And there's a shot earlier in the movie when she does the ripping of the um, wedding dress and puts her sneakers on. And she has, I don't know if she has her gun yet, but like she, there's a, she's standing in a room and she's looking at a mirror and she sees herself and they do a pan up in the mirror of like dirty sneakers, ripped wedding dress, dirty, her determined little face. And it's just like, okay. Yeah. We get it. You're trying really hard to create something and it's trying too it's hard just, we talked about this yes, in the beginning. it's, it's, just trying, too it's hard. trying too hard it's so it's it, it's very inauthentic and i had the thought when i watched that last scene where i was like i've seen i've seen scenes like this before it's so reminiscent it's of so these, cool it's so cool it's like oh yeah final girl covered in blood smoking a cigarette but it's like oh my god the second you try to examine it it's not the character we've really seen the whole time no um, it, it is a mirror to the first scene where she is smoking a cigarette, thinking about joining the family, but it doesn't, it, yeah, it's it doesn't super unearned. I just hate it. I dislike it so much. You know what? They, uh, would have been cool that they didn't lean into enough. What? And this is my final gripe. Oh boy. The board game shit is so fucking cool. Yeah. Could be They more. have a secret room where they go to pull the cards that is you walk through an armoire 
into this secret room, and all the production design is so good. And frankly, they play a little song while she's hiding. Um, oh, that this, song like, is great. Ready or Not song. The Ready or Not song. It's so uh, spooky. And then it plays again when they're all exploding, which I think is correct. Really good. Um, this movie totally abandons the board game element. Yeah. And I understand that what I'm asking for is a completely different movie than this, like, uh, family hunting this girl thing. But there is so much cool shit with the design and with the concept of making a deal with the devil to have a board game and card game empire that I feel like is just totally wasted. Hide and seek is not a board game, a board game or a card. game. It's not one of these things. You can't sell hide and seek. For example, they didn't make money selling hide and seek the way that these other, frankly, they could have used one of these original games. I know you have to, you know, you have to come up with rules for a game and it doesn't scan well to a wide audience. Family dynasty or something. Yeah. uh, What's the one that's, it's called sacrifice or something like that. It's not the same as something that you can sell in a pitch to fucking executives. And then you're going to make $60 million on your $6 million movie. But like, there's lore here in the background that stays in the background. Yeah. And this is, this is the nitpickiest nitpick of all, but watching it a third time, it just makes me sad that I have to watch the hide and seek movie and not the original cool board game movie. Yeah. It's just, there's so, I hear you. No, and no it's, I it's, it's because legit. of the achievement of the, t- the, like the technical departments on this that made it look so appealing. Yeah. That made the Ladomas brand so cool to me. Yeah, and I love, and I think the house is really well done too. The house I love is incredible. that they have that Le Domas um, game room. Yep. Um, that it says Le Domas on the like doors, and you open them, and like it's really well done. I think that honestly, a lot of it could be better with like, um, you know, we we see her hide in a um, what are those things called? Dumb waiter. Dumb waiter, and then that's how one of them dies. But like, you can do more dumb waiter shit. Let's play. I mean, there's there's all these like she travels a lot in in the um, servants' hallways. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do more with that. Like, there's just a lot to be make done it weirder, make it make it crazier, make it more yeah yeah I don't know. just more 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 more. This would be a great like I know people don't really do mini series like this yeah because people don't really get like original mini mini mini-se- original horror mini series. We've seen horror mini series, but they're usually adaptations um, adaptations of something. Uh, this would be a great thing to explore like. Let's do this fucking Le Domas thing over like a really long period of storytelling. I love the moment. This is a good Alex acting moment. He sees her in pretty much the beginning of the movie when he puts her in the hallway and is like, meet me at the kitchen. He does not see her again until the end after she kills his mother. Correct. And I think that that is excellent because she has become a changed person. Correct. Like, I love it. I think that it's so great that he has had this idealized version of her in his head the whole time that he's been wanting to get back to. And once he gets back to her, there is no her left. I think that's super interesting. Um, The other thing that I love, and I just love thinking about this shit because I love family dynamics and sibling dynamics, is that um, Alex and Daniel have a very specific relationship. It's why I said this in the beginning, that even when he hated his family, he always loved Daniel, Um, is that Daniel, as we've said a little bit, in the very beginning when this was happening to Aunt Helene, um... Daniel saved Alex from having to witness anything. He like protected him and loved him. And so there's always been something good about Alex that comes from Daniel. Daniel has protected Alex's innocence. He has protected Alex's, the the goodness in Alex. And I think it is so smart and wonderful. And I just fucking love it that when Daniel dies, the goodness in Alex is dead. Yeah. I think that it's like, it's so deliberate. I really genuinely love it. I think it works perfectly. I love it so much. That's like one of my favorite parts of this movie. I just love Daniel. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is a good movie. Yeah, I like it. I don't think it's a great one. It's a good movie. It's great. It's in between good and great. It's certainly not like, I mean, there have been, this is a time of horror where we are given actual like 
perfect films. Yeah. And so this is not Get Out. This yeah. is not like getting. <laughs> I was going to say us. Jordan Peele's just making perfect movies out here. Um, it's just, it's not as good as, like, other things we've seen in the last... It's not Midsommar. Like, it's yeah. just not, it's not at that level of, like, people who are making truly, truly next-level movies right now. It's really fun, though. I'm looking forward to seeing it again in a few years. Uh, seeing it three times in less than a year is... I'm That's a little a burnt lot. out. Not even less. It's been, like, what? Nine, nine months. months? Yeah. I'm a little burnt out on it. That's but fair. I will revisit it someday and I'll have a good time. Yeah. It's part of a specific movement of, um, like we said, this Knives Out Parasite just being like, rich people, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I actually really enjoy it. Are you ready to spin a roulette? Find us something else? Oh, you know what? I did not pull that up. But yes, I am ready to do it in three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our next movie will be... Curtains? Have you heard of this? It is on Amazon. Once I opened it up to Amazon, we got like just so many movies. It's a 1983 Canadian slasher film. Canadian, huh? Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm actually not going to tell you what I just saw. Why? Because I want it to be a surprise if it happens. Don't look. Okay. Don't look at too much of it. Curtains. So it's a slasher movie. It sounds fun, actually. I love a good slasher summer. It's 80s. 80s horror. I My love fave. it. Yeah. Love those 80s the slashers. Summer vibe. I'm excited. Watch I'm this like... movie be a Christmas movie and we don't, like, <laughs> we're saying all this shit, we don't know what it is. All right, curtains. I'm uh, tentatively excited because whenever I say that I'm excited on this podcast, I get deeply let down. Join us next time for Curtains. Curtains. Until next time, you can check us out on our website at nowscreaming.biz. No, you cannot. <laughs> You're just going to make shit up now. Dot com. And on Twitter and Facebook at Now Screaming. We need to register now screaming.biz. Oh my god. Dot biz. I don't even have gone to a got dot biz address in years. Be sure to tell your friends uh, to listen to the podcast and to leave us reviews. Because I assume if you're listening to this, you already have. Otherwise, you're uh, kind of letting us down. <laughs> <laughs> Please leave it's us been, reviews. It's been 81 episodes. We Please. love reviews. They fuel us. What if it was nowscreaming.edu? Let's get a dot edu address. <laughs> <Now> screaming.gov. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Thanks, as always, to Wes Craven and to Adam Brody's agent, who allowed him to have a comeback in 2019. <laughs> he stabbed someone in this movie. I forgot to say that. He straight up was playing with a fake knife and stabbed someone. Adam Brody, accident. not the yeah. character. No, no, no. Adam Brody himself actually Sorry. stabbed someone. I don't think he was playing with a fake knife. I think he was playing with a real knife. Oh, well, yeah, he was playing with what he thought was a retractable knife, and he was like, ha ha, and stabbed someone. They had to get like eight stitches, which I think is so dumb adam brody figure it out his agent got him work uh, in this and shazam oh yeah last he's year been, he's been around I and love i'm it. actually a big fan of the brody sans i so. agree i love him thanks adam brody's agent all right until next time everybody stay spooky stay spooky